Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. We're live. Hello. How are you? Great. How's your decaf? Uh, it's hot. Good. It's piping. That's how I, you uh, want it. I overboiled it. Oh. It was like steaming. So you're not a real coffee snob. That's correct. Because I was distracted by the water fight that we were having. Well. That you just rudely sprung upon me. You said you needed to wake up, so I threw <laughs> a cup of cold water on you. Like, Did just it work? trying to make a cup of decaf. <laughs> she comes over and tries to pour water on my head. Which I wasn't having, so I had to retaliate. Well, honestly, I think I did you a favor, so. Oh, okay. You're welcome, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is thank you. Yes, good, I'm glad. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, shall we just jump into this week's story? Let's jump in. Okay. This one's another true crime one. We're doing a couple true crime. I mean, okay. last week wasn't, but anyway, the one before was, you know, about a serial killer, so I always feel like we kind of mix it up a little bit, but we're going back to true crime. Right, yeah, no, I, I'm. these are going to be jumbled for me because we recorded them close yeah, together. Yeah, we're kind of front-loading our work a little bit. That we're way we batching. Can, we're batching, if you will, yeah. Because we need vacation, too. We do. We're you people. Know? We're people just like you. <laughs> <laughs> we breathe. We eat. Exactly. Anyway, before I start, I wanted to give a quick trigger warning for domestic violence. This story does include that, so I just wanted to put that at the top in case anyone wasn't feeling comfortable listening to a story with that in it today. So this story takes place in Crawfordville, Florida in 1997. It's a little country town right in the panhandle of Florida. It's the type of place where you can't go into a store without knowing the clerk or running into somebody else you know there. Gabby McKenzie had a great childhood. She had a good relationship with her parents, and they would often do things together as a family, like having picnics by the lighthouse, going on drives together, or taking a trip out to Tallahassee, which was about a 30-minute drive away. When Gabby was just five years old, that happiness was cut short by her mother's sudden cancer diagnosis. Watching her mother get sicker and going through those hard times was difficult for Gabby to understand because, to her, it was as if her mom just couldn't do the same things she used to do. Gabby's father was very supportive and by her mother's side through the entire thing. However, when Gabby was 12, her mother unfortunately passed away. Her mother's passing made Gabby and her father become even closer because they were all each other had. Gabby considered her dad to be her best friend. She said even as she got older and had friends who she called her best friends, it was always actually her dad. She spoke to him more than anyone else and told him everything. But now that John McKenzie was a single dad, he needed to work around the clock to support his daughter. John worked in the fire station towers Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday and Sunday, he worked as a park ranger for the wildlife refuge in St. Mark's. Holy crap, no days off. Seven days a week. I mean, that's highly respectable. Yeah. He works seven days for his daughter. Yeah. Who is his best friend? Incredibly wholesome, you know? Because her father was working full-time, rather than going to high school, Gabby stayed home and took computer classes to get her GED. She wanted to have an education, but she also felt she needed to be home to take care of the house and make dinners for her dad when he got home. She felt like she was forced to grow up really fast and take the role of the homemaker. It was so hard for John after not only losing his wife, but also watching his little girl miss out on some of her childhood. 
but he made it a priority to make it so Gabby could still have some of her childhood. On the weekends, she would spend the nights at friends' houses to relax and have fun. They would stay up late and watch movies or do each other's makeup. Just normal young girl sleepovers. And it was on one of these nights that Gabby met 20-year-old Andy Wilson. It was 2008. Gabby was 16 years old. And Andy seemed laid back, kind of goofy. He joked around a lot, and the two really hit it off. At first, their relationship just started as a friendship. And Andy would actually come over to her house and hang out with her and her dad. They would spend the evenings hanging out on their front porch until all hours of the night, just talking and having a good time. Wait, so how did they meet? Through a friend. The friend that she slept over, like at her friend's house, introduced her to Andy. It does seem a little weird, the age difference. Oh, it's super weird. He's 20 and she's 16. Yeah. Yeah, definitely weird. But, I mean, you know, that wasn't really an issue to them, I suppose. I mean, as a 16-year-old, you look at a 20-year-old and you're like, oh my god, so cool. You know? It's only looking back on it that you're like, hey, that's incredibly creepy. I know, but the it seems like the dad's sanctioning it. Well, yeah. I mean, at first he was just a friend. And, I mean, it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to be like, okay, maybe this will turn into something more. Yeah. But also he just wanted his daughter to be happy ultimately and if this guy was coming over and they were all sitting on the porch together and having a good time like there wasn't really any harm in that that's true but after about a month andy told gabby that he was interested in being more than friends of course in the beginning their relationship was very casual they would have dinner a few nights a week or go see a movie or he would come over to her dad's house to have dinner with them he was very touchy and affectionate which Gabby said was loving, but also made her feel uncomfortable when it was in front of her dad or Andy's parents or something like that. Like he was just, he was being overly affectionate in front of people. And Gabby was like, this is uncomfy. In front of her dad? Yeah. Ooh, I would not be having that. No. She would have to tell him like, not here. She would have to like literally push him off and be like, nope, not here. Sometime later, Andy introduced Gabby to his circle of friends. One of Andy's friends, 23-year-old Jaquata Key, said that from the start, Andy was completely goo-goo over Gabby. Goo-goo? Yeah. It was as if he had won a prize. He would talk about how beautiful and amazing Gabby was, and it was all he would talk about. He was completely head over heels for her. Only six months into their relationship, Andy asked Gabby to move in with him. Huh? Yeah. She's still 16? Either early 17 or still 16, yes. I guess it doesn't matter. No, still gross. Well, how is this going to play out? Well, she was working full-time for a sandwich shop in Tallahassee at the time, and Andy was working for an air conditioning company. Both of them were making decent money, and that definitely made Gabby feel mature for her age, not to mention everything else she had to do on a normal basis. So it's no wonder she kind of felt like an adult, and she was like, you know what, I I could have my own place. Is she still living with her dad? Yeah. Soon not. She's not going to be, but she was at that point. Damn. Although she did still want to be home with her dad, she also felt like it was time for her to move out and get her own place and have a little bit more independence. Gabby, of course, talked to her father about this idea, and hearing that his 17-year-old wanted to move out was not something he wanted to hear, but at the same time, he was also a very supportive father and told her that if that was truly what she wanted to do, he would support her. So she moved out. She and Andy rented a small house only 10 minutes away from her dad, which I guess is best case scenario, but still weird in my opinion. 
I appreciate the whole supportive dad thing, but also it's like... Uh, there's a limit to that. Yeah. You know? But also there's a limit to what he can... He can do. Make her do, you know? Yeah. Because she's only going to be 17 for so long, and then she's 18, and then she legally can make her own decisions. And also, he doesn't want to, like, drive a wedge into the relationship that he has yeah. with his daughter, who's, like, the only person he really has. Not much you can do. Because, I mean, I guess the other thing is the harder line that you take, the more she's just going to want to do it, probably. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So. The couple settled into their new life quickly, and only four months into living together, they found out that Gabby was pregnant. How many months? Four. So she was still 17. Damn. Andy was... Guys, condoms. Yeah, well, they got pregnant. So <laughs> Andy was very happy with this news. He couldn't wait to call everyone he knew and tell them about this news. Gabby, on the other hand, was nervous. Understandably so. She said it was an excited nervous... She was excited for this new chapter in her life, but also she was 17 years old and pregnant. She called her dad to tell him the news and see what he thought about everything, and he told her that as long as she was happy and this is what she wanted, then he was happy too, because he'd get a grandbaby out of it. So everyone was happy, and things started out really great. However, things shifted in Andy when Gabby was around five months pregnant. He started getting really controlling. He wanted to know where she was and what she was doing at all times. He would constantly call her every 30 to 45 minutes, wanting to know where she was and who she was with. At that point, Gabby had dropped down to working just part-time because her pregnancy had been really tough. She felt sick all the time, and that's all she could really handle. And when she wasn't working, Andy would come home in the middle of the day and say stuff like he had seen tire tracks that he didn't recognize in the driveway. He'd yell at her and he'd just accuse her of cheating on him. Does he have pregnancy hormones? He's insane. He's a, a, a straight up monster. Okay. And we're going to learn about that, but he's I'm, insane. I don't know. I'm just, I'm right here with the listeners. I'm just saying like, it seemed like he flipped on a dime. Like yeah. at five months into the pregnancy, mm -hmm. like he was getting the hormones or something. Yeah. I mean, it does... It, it does seem like it's very out of left field, especially from the way she was describing him in the beginning. She's like, he was really happy and really cool with my dad. And his friends were talking about how he was so excited to be dating Gabby and blah, blah, blah. And, and now he's just like a controlling asshole. Yeah. How long has this relationship lasted up until this point? Okay, so six months into dating, they started, they moved in together. Four months into their moving in together they got pregnant and now this is five months into her pregnancy so it's just over a year each week i speak to inspirational people each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey they've all chosen to share their stories with one aim that if people can relate and get comfort from it if it can help someone as one of my guests said there's so much going on in the world we should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chataholic and hear their stories. such a strange thing to have it like just with a snap of your fingers change everything yeah even if there were red flags along the way she's only 17 she's very young she probably hasn't had a ton of relationships 
And there's some level of naivete. Is that the word that I'm looking yeah. for? Yeah. I mean, like, you, you don't naive. know the red flags to look for and you're probably not you just assume the best of people exactly you haven't been tainted by old age right jaded like we are at the ripe age of 25 cynical jaded people yeah so he would come home in the middle of the day while she was at home literally sick from being pregnant and he would yell at her about how he she was having people come over and she was cheating on him and all this stuff And so she tried to tell him there was nothing to worry about and he could trust her, but he didn't want to hear it. Yeah, she probably has no time to cheat on you, dude. She's throwing up all day. Well, she wasn't anyway. It's not like she wanted to to begin with. She just was literally pregnant at home. Right. That's it. Just pregnant at home. That's it. I mean, and then it morphed into a very weird disdain and almost jealousy toward Gabby's father. John would come to see Gabby some days to hang out and have lunch. And Andy didn't like that because he was at work and he couldn't be there. Her dad? Yes. But Gabby said she and her father had been best friends long before Andy came into her life and she would never stop seeing her dad. So I'm glad that she had that kind of, you know, line in the sand. She's like, listen, you can yell at me, but you're not going to make me stop seeing my dad. She wasn't happy at that point, but since she was pregnant and they had a place together, she tried convincing herself that they could push through these hard times and have the future they planned. She tried to tell herself that after the baby came, things would get better. On March 27th, 2010, only three days after her 18th birthday, Gabby gave birth to a baby boy that she and Andy named Lane. She named him Lane after her mother, whose name was Elaine. So very sweet. I like that. At first, even though he was anxious, Andy wanted to be involved with the baby. As you would hope. Yeah, bare minimum. And again, Gabby hoped that their son would bring changes to their relationship, but it didn't take long at all for things to get bad again. He was still very possessive, still accusing her of having someone over and cheating on him. And just like Andy was getting jealous of Gabby's father, he started getting jealous of their son's relationship with Gabby. He's a baby. Yeah, no, it's it's actually ridiculous that he's jealous of his own son's relationship with his mother. I'm sure she would love for you to connect more with your son. Of you course. Know, and go change some diapers for once. Of course. You useless lug. lug. You useless <laughs> Y'all lug. you useless yug. Yeah, he is a well. useless lug. So if dinner was ready, but Gabby was trying to feed Lane at the same time, Andy would get angry and tell her that Lane could wait because he wanted his food. And he would tell her to make his plate, woman. Quote. End of relationship. Yeah. He literally was like, the baby can wait. Go make my plate for me. The dinner that you just slaved away making for me, now go fix me a plate. Literally disgusting. Like, so as if that wasn't enough, you're going to prioritize yourself over your son? Yeah. You selfish piece of shit yeah he's terrible wow and she's not even 18 yet she's 18 just now she she turned just now she turned 18 three days after or three days before she gave birth oh my god so much to deal with yeah you have an infant and then this useless person yeah (laughs) yeah like actively an asshole not only useless but mean and also if she didn't have dinner ready yet when he got home he would get extremely annoyed too so there was seriously just no winning All that time, Gabby was suffering in silence, and she didn't tell anyone close to her about Andy's behavior. Jaquata and her father could sense that something was wrong, but she didn't tell them about it. And Andy knew that Gabby wasn't happy. She hadn't slept with him in months because she didn't want to, understandably. 
Yeah. And I'll... also, she just gave birth. Jesus. But, of course, he didn't like that either, which turned into Andy forcing himself onto Gabby. He didn't care if they were on the couch with Lane right there. He would force her to be with him, which is absolutely revolting. Ugh, I want to throw up. He told her on multiple occasions that he wouldn't let Gabby leave him. She couldn't leave him, and if she did, there would be consequences, meaning he would hurt her. And if she ever got with another man, he would kill him. Gabby finally had reached her breaking point one night in late December of 2010. That night, Jaquata and her husband Bruce were over at their house to have dinner and hang out. As she was walking past Andy, he put her arm around her waist to grab her, and he forcefully put his hand down her pants in front of Jaquata and Bruce. That was the first time Jaquata had actually seen anything abusive happen to Gabby. It was definitely shocking and, of course, very upsetting for Gabby. She was not the type of person to fight in front of people, so she looked at him and asked if they could please go outside and talk. She told him that she wasn't happy and she wanted to leave because he couldn't do things like that to her, but he told her that she couldn't leave, which is when he grabbed onto her shoulders hard and drew his hand back as if he were going to punch her. But Jaquata saw him and rushed outside and said, Andy, what are you doing? Stop. Andy said to Jaquata that he'd never actually do that. He was only trying to intimidate Gabby. <laughs> As if that makes it any I was better. Like, that's your defense? Jaquata said uh-huh. that she had never seen Andy like that before, and it scared her so much that she wanted to leave too. When they came back inside, Gabby went over to the playpen where Lane had been, and she went to pick him up, but Andy shoved her to the side and said, there's no way in hell you're taking my kid, and then walked into their bedroom and closed the door, which I'm sure was extremely terrifying, knowing that your son is in there with that crazy person. Although, I mean, I'm sure she would never let him actually take him if she thought that he would ever hurt their son, but, you know, still a crazy person. Yeah, and it's, this is all in front of people. Yes, this is not behind closed doors. This is now actively in front of people. Yeah, we need which to go to court and get an order here. Very telling, yeah. At that point, Jaquata and Gabby came up with a plan. They agreed that they would wait as long as it took until Andy finally fell asleep, and then they would sneak into the bedroom, get Lane, and they would leave. And they waited four hours until Andy had finally fallen asleep. Gabby had snuck into the room as quietly as she could, but as she got in, she saw that Andy was holding Lane as he slept with his arms wrapped around him. But she wasn't about to back out at that point, so she quietly creeped over to the bed and gently lifted Andy's arm off of Lane. The entire time, she was so terrified he was going to wake up, but he didn't. She scooped up her baby and tiptoed out of the bedroom. As soon as she made it out of the room, she ran as fast as she could out of the house and into the van. She had Jaquata get into the driver's seat, and they were pulling out of the driveway before Lane was even fully buckled in. She hopped into the van with Lane, and as they were driving down the street, Gabby was buckling him into his car seat. That's how frantic it was. And I understand. Oh yeah, 100%. They decided to drive to Gabby's father's house since he was closer than Jaquata's. When they arrived, Gabby finally told her dad what she had been going through, and he was devastated. No father wants to hear their daughter is going through something so terrible. Over the next week, Andy called Gabby relentlessly, begging her for a second chance, and she eventually agreed to come home for a one-week trial period for the sake of their son. The first day she came back, 
It seemed as if the Andy she once knew and loved was still in him somewhere. But, of course, he was on his best behavior because he wanted to get her back. She said he seemed calm and somewhat attentive to her. (laughs) Key word there being somewhat. When she said that in the interview, she was like, he was calm and even somewhat attentive. I was like, that's... Is the bar so low? Yeah, that even somewhat attentive is like, good job. That's really... (laughs) Like, he asked her once if she needed water. Right. (laughs) But as the days went on throughout the week, he gradually started showing the same behavior that he had before. It only took him a few days to go back to his insane possessiveness. But that's when Gabby said she knew she was going to leave for good. At the end of the week, she told Andy there was no way she could stay with him. As she gave her decision to him, he sat there eerily quiet with a glazed-over, emotionless look in his eyes. He then said, okay, and Gabby left. She decided her next move was to move in with Jaquata while she figured out where to go next. I mean, shout out Jaquata for letting her move in. Hell yeah. Right? Definitely a really good friend. Yeah. But of course, Gabby and her father were both scared for her because... They didn't know what Andy was going to do. It felt as if something was looming, because the way he just let her leave was very eerie, to say the least. Out of character? Yeah, very out of character, and it just seemed like something bad was brewing. Because in the past, he had made threats to Gabby about what he would do if she ever left, and they weren't sure if he was actually capable of following through with those threats. And so because of that, she chose to stay with Jaquata instead of her father's because if she went there, she and Lane would have to be alone for the majority of the time because her dad was constantly working. So she would be in the house alone all the time and that did not feel safe. Jaquata's was definitely a better option because there would be more people around regularly, both during the day and at night. So she wouldn't really have to be alone. And it was only a matter of days before Andy started calling Gabby nonstop again. And anytime she'd pick up, he only wanted to talk about their relationship and her coming back to him. She told him she didn't want to be back with him and she was never coming back, which there's a lot to be said for her strength. In this scenario, I feel like I truly don't know because I've never been in a situation like this, but I can only imagine how difficult that must be to put your foot down and to say, I will never come back to you or to leave in the first place. Like the fact that she made it this far says a lot about her strength. Yeah. And then to constantly reiterate it. Yeah. Because I feel that it's so easy to break down over time, especially if he's as incessant as he seems to be. Yeah. I I think it's unfortunately common that domestic violence survivors go back. Yeah. Because of this behavior. Right because of the manipulation and the emotional abuse. And all the threats, too. Yeah, definitely. As the weeks went on, Gabby started noticing that when Andy called, he started asking her questions that seemed very relevant to where she was and what she was doing in that exact moment, which made her wonder if Andy had been watching her. One day in particular, Gabby needed to do laundry, and since Jaquata didn't have a washer and dryer at her place, she needed to go to the laundromat. She went there regularly, and it was in Crawfordville, which was not far from Jaquata's house. But because of what had been going on, she decided to stray from her usual spot and went somewhere else about 30 minutes out of the way. While she was in this laundromat, she looked up and saw Andy's car pull into the parking lot and park directly behind her. Her heart sank. It had been weeks of her suspicion that Andy had been following her, and now she knew for a fact that he was. 
Gabby finished up her laundry and walked outside, but before she could get into her car, Andy grabbed her and started screaming at her in the parking lot. Gabby screamed for him to let go of her, and the two started fighting, verbally. A lady in the laundromat saw this and came outside and told Andy that he needed to leave, and if he didn't, she would call the police. So before the police could arrive, Andy got back into his car and left, but left it saying, this isn't over. When Gabby got home that evening, Jaquata suggested she should get a restraining order against Andy because things were definitely escalating. But Gabby wasn't fully on board for that idea because she didn't want to separate Lane from his father. She said since Andy had never physically harmed Lane, she didn't feel right making it so he couldn't see his son. She told him that he could continue to see Lane as long as he kept it civil. Which again, speaks to her strength. I mean, regardless of what she's going through and experiencing with this horrible man, she's still prioritizing Lane and saying, as long as it never bleeds into him, then I don't want to separate a son from his father. Yeah, I get that. But I feel like that thought process maybe is a little naive. Possibly. I definitely can see where it would still be a bad idea for her to continue seeing, letting him see Lane and having to deal with like co-parenting drop-offs and pickups and things like that because of the way things are going. But she was just trying to do the best for her son. And I think that that's, although scary, a very admirable, admirable, you know, respectable, a very strong thing to, to do, to be selfless and prioritize your son. I wish she didn't do that, but also... I think it says a lot about who she is as a person. February of 2011, one week after the laundromat incident, Gabby agreed to send Lane with Andy for an overnight visit. Previously, Gabby wouldn't have been comfortable with that, but at that point, Andy had been living with his parents. So she dropped him off and things seemed to be okay. But the following day, Gabby went to their pickup point to get Lane from Andy, but he never showed up. Of course, Gabby started calling Andy nonstop, but he wasn't answering. With every minute that passed, she sat there and Andy didn't show up. She had this gut-wrenching feeling growing inside of her. She didn't know where Andy was, why he wasn't answering, why he never showed up, and her mind was going through every worst-case scenario, because now her son is involved. Andy's parents lived in Crawfordville as well, so she drove by their house and there weren't any cars in the driveway, so she didn't stop. Several hours went by, but finally Andy called Gabby and told her very casually that they had just decided to take a little road trip up to Georgia. They said they'd be back, but Gabby asked when specifically, and Andy told her, I don't know, sometime tomorrow. As if that's an okay thing to do. Gabby had to go through one of the longest nights of her life, wondering where they were and if he would actually bring Lane back tomorrow. The next day, Andy did show up, and Gabby stormed past him to get her son out of his car. Andy, of course, wanted to talk, but Gabby didn't have anything to say to him, so she grabbed Lane's carrier, strapped him into her car, and drove home. When she made it back, she realized that Lane was wearing the same clothes that he had been wearing when she handed him over to Andy two days prior. She took his temperature, and he had a fever of 104 degrees. And when she looked in the bag she left with Andy, none of the cans of formula had been opened, none of the baby food had been opened, and he was crying and screaming so badly that she decided to take him to the doctor. The doctor told her that Lane was so dehydrated, he needed a catheter. 
at 10 and a half months old, which is when Gabby knew she never wanted Andy to see Lane again. Yeah, this is child abuse, just straight up neglect. 100%. I mean... Two days? He didn't change his clothes, clothes bathe him, feed him. What, like, what or did he do? Or even give him water. Exactly. Water? Yeah. What I did mean, you do? He's a baby. Did you just treat him like a plant? He just, yeah, he probably doesn't care. I mean, he never cared about him before. Mind-blowing. I know. So at that point, Gabby decided it was time for a restraining order, finally. And to her surprise, Andy didn't fight back. She didn't hear from him. No phone calls, nothing. And although the silence was eerie, she was also relieved to not have her phone blowing up at all hours of the day or that he would show up somewhere else. She even thought maybe this is all over. Maybe he just gave up. At that time, Gabby had still been staying with Jaquata, and one evening she was introduced to 24-year-old Patrick Pittman. Patrick was a family friend of Jaquata's, and she described him as a good old country boy. He called everyone sugar, sweetheart, darling, and that's just how he talked. That's just who he was. Patrick and Gabby hit it off immediately. They had good conversation, and Patrick was always so happy, and she enjoyed being around him a lot. Lane also loved him immediately. Patrick was really good with Lane. He would always sit and play with him. He would give him piggyback rides. He even offered to change Lane's diaper, which were things that Andy had never done. So within a few weeks, a romance had definitely started to blossom. Gabby and Patrick weren't openly together because she didn't want Andy to know she had been seeing anyone, but she started to bring him to her father's house where they would all hang out and her father also really loved Patrick instantly. Life had started feeling normal again, so much so that Gabby decided she wanted to move back into her father's house. That's where she wanted to be, but this time she wanted Patrick to come with her. He slept on the couch and was incredibly respectful about being under Gabby's father's roof, which, if we remember, Andy was not. So Patrick seems to be everything that Andy was not. We love that. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's just a good guy. He's nice. He loves Gabby, actually, and loves Lane and actually takes care of him, and is just a good guy all around. After not long at all, they kind of became like a little family. Every day that passed that Gabby didn't hear from Andy, she felt more and more at peace. Jaquata told Patrick, Look, you need to be serious about this because Gabby is a good woman and a good mother and Andy is crazy. But he told Jaquata that he felt like he was supposed to be with Gabby and he was going to protect her. March 27th, 2011 was Lane's first birthday and Gabby had a party for him at the park in St. Mark's. Everyone was so happy. Lane was running around and having a good time and Patrick carved Lane number one on a tree at the park for his first birthday and Gabby was completely over the moon with Patrick. Three days later, Gabby, Patrick, and John were sitting on the couch getting ready to watch a movie. Lane had already been put down to bed, and Gabby decided that she was too tired as well and didn't want to stay up and watch a whole movie, so she kissed Patrick and her father and told them that she was going to bed. Patrick asked her to stay up just a little while longer to watch with them, but she told him no, she was too tired, and walked down the hall to go cuddle up next to Lane and go to sleep. The house was quiet hours later, around 3.30 a.m. after Gabby left Patrick and her dad to watch the movie, and she woke up to this banging sound coming from the living room. Gabby got up and heard Patrick scream, I'm dying, I'm dying. 
She walked down the hallway and saw this black silhouette standing over Patrick and they were stabbing him over and over as he lay on the couch. As she stood there, unable to process what she was looking at, this person looks back and Gabby realizes that this was Andy. Seeing her standing there, he ran toward her. She tried to run back down the hallway, but she felt the knife go into her back as she fell down to the floor. She then lay there as she felt the knife going into her over and over. She couldn't feel any pain, but she said she could feel her body moving with each blow. He stabbed her in her side, her arm, her throat, multiple times. When she tried to scream stop, she couldn't make any sound. All she heard was air coming out of her throat. That's when Andy got down on the ground and screamed in her face, Why did you cheat on me? Why? Why did you do this? This is all your fault. To Gabby's absolute horror, that's when she heard the thud of Lane's feet hit the floor in her bedroom, and then heard his footsteps, and this little baby opened the bedroom door. He came down the hallway and saw his mother lying on the floor, and Andy told him that this is what mommy deserves. This is her fault. All she could hear was Lane's screaming, and from behind her, she heard her father's voice coming down the hallway as he screamed at Andy to stop. Because of that, Andy then shifted and went after John. Gabby then heard as Patrick had gotten off the couch and was able to dial 911. He was able to tell the 911 dispatcher that he was dying and he had been stabbed. In the background of the call, you can hear Andy scream, You know I loved her, bitch. I took care of her. He was screaming and cursing, and then he said, now you're going to die in hell, motherfucker. And this is all recorded. Like, it it was so scary. Oh my god. I can't imagine being that operator. Oh my god, no. But thank god he could dial 911. Yeah, seriously. But then everything went silent. Gabby didn't know where Lane was, but then she heard the screen door swing open and shut and she knew that she needed to get to the phone somehow. She tried to sit up and managed to turn herself over onto her stomach, but when she tried to push herself up, her arm gave out from underneath her. Her hands were both so mangled that she couldn't use them to push herself up. So she used her elbows to get up onto her knees and then managed to get to her feet. She walked out to the living room and found Patrick lying on the floor by the front door, and he wasn't moving. She then saw this old cord phone and she knew she couldn't pick it up, but she tried to hit it off of the receiver to dial 911 as well. As soon as she did, she collapsed on the floor next to Patrick. The next thing she remembers is seeing red and blue flashing lights, and as an officer walked inside, she heard him say, Oh my god. The house was completely covered in blood. It was on the couch, the floor, the walls, the phone, down the hallway. It was everywhere. Lane was thankfully still there, but he had gone over to Gabby and was just screaming. A police officer grabbed him and took him out of the house. The officer asked if the person who did this was still in the house, and Gabby shook her head no. Again, she tried to talk, but she couldn't make any sound, so the officer leaned down really close to Gabby's mouth and listened as she gave him the name Andy Wilson in a whisper. Immediately, police put out an all-points bulletin for Andy Wilson. Gabby was rushed to the hospital in critical condition and immediately rushed into surgery. However, both Patrick and Gabby's father were tragically unresponsive and pronounced dead on the scene. Patrick Pittman had been stabbed 47 times all over his body, front, back, sides, knees, and his skull. 
and John McKenzie had been stabbed 17 times. Police were extremely determined to find Andy after seeing the damage he had caused. Only a few hours later, they made the arrest after Andy had crashed his car in Stewart County, Georgia, nearly 150 miles away. It just so happened that the yard he crashed into was the yard of a deputy with the local sheriff's department. Wow. Yeah. And after crashing in his yard, Andy Wilson gave up the information that he had just killed some people down in Tallahassee. Well, that was easy. Very strange that he crashed into the yard of a deputy, but also good. Lucky. Yeah, right? lucky for the people looking for him. He's insane, so it doesn't. Ma- it's never going to make sense, but it makes extra not sense this time. Yeah. It made me so incredibly sad to hear about her father and Patrick. There's there's no words to really say like how tragic that is, but yeah, no. It's just, just it's so so sad. Yeah, both the people she loves like the most taken away in an instant by this monster. Seriously. The only semi-silver lining is that Lane was okay. Right. When Andy was brought in for questioning, he had absolutely no issue taking responsibility for what he had done. He told police he didn't know how many times he had quote-unquote stabbed the guy and that he had stabbed Gabby, but she had gotten the least of it because he didn't really want to hurt her, is what he said. Oh, really? You didn't want to hurt her? That's interesting. How many times did he stab her? Like 17 or 13, something like that. I have it later on in my notes, but it's somewhere around like 13 times. One might call that harm. Yeah, one might. He said since she had come out of her room, she freaked him out, and that's why he stabbed her. Okay. But his plan was to kill everybody in that home and take his son with him. He had a car seat already in the car that he was driving. But the knife that Andy had used didn't have a hilt, which stops your hand from sliding down from the handle and then onto the blade. So that happened to him, and he had cut his fingers badly and almost completely severed three of them. So once he had gotten cut, he knew that that was an issue, and the only reason he didn't take Lane with him was because he cut his fingers. Wow. Yeah. There's some weird shit happening that's, like, very coincidental, you know? I'm puzzled. Yeah. During his drive north into Georgia, he made several calls to his parents and told them about the murders. But even creepier than that, he called his co-workers and his boss. He called and left a voicemail to his boss saying, quote, Hey, Bo, I'm not going to be able to make it into work today. Yeah, I did a very bad thing, and I'm sure you'll hear about it on the news. Gabby and her boyfriend and her father are no longer alive because of me. I'm about as insane as a motherfucker. Anyhow, I just wanted to let you know that I won't no longer be employed at blank heating and air. I have no words. He's a lunatic. Like, yeah. Imagine calling your boss and being like, yeah, I can't make it. I just murdered three people. Just wanted to let you know. What type of person? I don't know. I'm, I just, I don't have many words, you know? He showed absolutely no remorse for what he had done. Thankfully, though, Gabby did survive this heinous attack. She had stab wounds from the top of her head, down her arms, down her torso, down her throat, on her face, and the upper part of her legs. She had been stabbed 19 times between her neck and her waist. And not one of them hit a major organ. They were That's all... so lucky. Yeah, they were all completely intact. She believes this is a miracle because she said the chances of that are one in a million. 
probably mathematically it's more. Yeah. I mean, to be stabbed 19 times with the force that that crazy person was doing, like how, I, I don't understand how he didn't hit a single organ. Yeah. That's truly something. If you're not a believer. Yeah. Like if you believe this, in miracles, that's one of them. This is. Uh, <laughs> if you don't, then it's just a really crazy coincidence. Yeah. When she woke up in the hospital, she remembers the nurse bringing in paperwork that asked her where she wanted Lane to be. And it asked if she wanted him to be with Jaquata. She shook her head, yes. So, Lane is taken care of. When she learned about Patrick and her father, she almost couldn't bear it. She couldn't believe that they had actually been killed. All she wanted to do was go home and see Lane, but they told her she would be in the hospital for at least six months, if not more. But at the six-week mark, she had had enough. Laying in a hospital bed wasn't going to improve her condition, so she was released. When she got home to Jaquata's, she was so nervous to see Lane, but when she sat down on the couch and he saw her, he smiled and walked over to her slowly before putting his head down gently in her lap and squeezed her, as if he knew that he had to be gentle. Being able to see him again and knowing that he was okay was what she needed. I'll, I'll take a second for a tear to fall. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Ow. I know. Yeah, that seriously made my heart hurt, but in court, the defense tried to argue that these killings were depraved mind murders, meaning Andy did intend to hurt them, but not necessarily kill them. But prosecution argued Andy Wilson planned the killings. He taped plastic bags over his shoes, hid his truck in the woods, wore black clothes and a headlamp before taking the hidden key to John McKenzie's house from a birdhouse on the porch of the single wide trailer, letting himself inside. Andy then stood over Patrick Pittman and watched him as he slept on the living room couch before putting his hand over his mouth and slitting his throat. Andy's attorney came back with, he was insanely jealous and was upset about Gabby McKenzie leaving him and his not being able to see their one-year-old son. He also had the irrational idea that she and her father, who were best friends, were having an incestuous relationship. Before the killings that night, Andy was also at a friend's house drinking beer and was given three amphetamines. What does that mean? Like Adderall? I, I get dr just drugs. Like he was given drugs and was drinking. So they're like, he was very much under the influence. And also he was super jealous and thought that Gabby and her dad was having an incestuous relationship. Like what? He's yeah. insane. I mean, honestly, that's one of the more sane thoughts that he's had. That's very clearly made up in his mind. Like that yeah. is, there's no, there's no proof to that whatsoever. Yeah, reality does not apply. Yeah. In 2014, Andy Wilson was convicted on two counts of first degree murder and attempted murder and sentenced to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Yep. Yep. That's a good one. That's a good one. We're okay with that one. When people asked Gabby how she could get through something like that, she said, there's only one answer. Two people who loved her so much did everything they could in the last seconds of their lives to make sure that she survived and that Lane survived. Why would she spend that life that she's so blessed to have being miserable, being sorry for herself? It's the biggest waste. That's what she said. And that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I applaud her really for having and that mentality and being able to like, 
go through one of the worst tragedies of your life times two and still be able to pick yourself up and like live your best fullest life for yourself and your son because that's what the people who loved you wanted right but i'm sure that it took a lot of work to get to that oh without a doubt without a doubt in the years since losing patrick gabby has found love again with patrick's close friend tim hayfley they got married and they have another son together that they named john diddy after her father and patrick because diddy was patrick's nickname and they changed lane's name legally to lane patrick and lane is the sweetest and happiest kid and when he asks about his mother's scars on her neck because the injuries the stab wounds that she had to go through affected her speech so she kind of has a different voice now it's a little bit raspier and airier and also she has scars on her neck so when lane asks about these scars she doesn't want to lie to him but she tells him that one day she will tell him the story but now is not that time and before we wrap up this story i just wanted to end it by sharing the domestic violence hotline so if you or anyone you know is in a dangerous situation the number for that hotline is 800 799-7233 or you can text START to 88788 and that is the story of Gabby McKenzie what an incredible woman I truly. know and just what a tragic life that she's had but yet at the end of it her conclusion is I can't waste my life yeah. and be miserable because two people that I loved so much sacrifice themselves for me to have that life yeah but i mean her mom had cancer and then this i was gonna say i feel like from start to finish we have heard about the strength that gabby has because we started off with a very intense tragedy losing her mother and then having to at a young age at a young age not only not go to high school, but take care of, you know, the house and become the homemaker and take care of her father. I mean, to some degree, I mean, he was obviously working really hard and taking care of her as well, but she felt that responsibility and stepped up to the plate. And then, you know, she got pregnant young, had this baby, and then had to deal with an absolute monster of a boyfriend. And somebody who clearly is mentally ill. Yes, but then walked away from it and tried her best to stay out of it. But, you know, you can't help that he's a crazy person. It's not like that was her fault. Right. And then now she's she has the strength to continue living and to continue not only just living, but living her best life for herself and her son because that's what the people who love her would have wanted for her. And she can recognize that, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. So that's that on that. Yeah. There's not really much else to say about it. Oh, God. Take a breath, you know? Yeah really it's it's intense stuff i mean it's just it's hard to talk about these things because you don't want to we never want to seem like we're coming off like we're judging people or that we're critiquing what they have done or what they should have done or things like that it's just so hard to not like empathize with that person and just be like oh i just want the best for them you know yeah i know i do that all the time like i retroactively try and like make decisions for them yeah i mean it's it's but, it yeah. makes sense that to like yeah. say like oh if i were in that position i i wish that 
I could have done this or that I wish that that person would have done that because you want the best. And it, it comes from only a place of care and love and, and empathy and all that stuff. But it, yeah, it's just, it's a delicate subject. But yeah, anyway, that's that on that. Um, what's your good thing? Let's have a little palate cleanser. Why don't you go first this week? Okay. My good thing is that I am going home and I'm going to see my family and my younger sister is graduating from high school. Shout her out. And shout out. Yeah. Shout out, Allie. It's your graduation, girly. You did it. <laughs> go uh, piss, girl. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Go piss, girl. Um, so that's really exciting. I'm excited to be there for you know, taking pictures for her prom and I'm excited to take pictures of her for her graduation and just celebrate her and be home with my family and swim in the pool and it's all good things. So yeah, I'm excited for you. Also, for those that don't know, um, that's a gossip girl meme on the yeah. internet. <laughs> Go piss I feel girl. like there may be some people who don't know. <laughs> so yeah, if, if you don't Google understand it. what we're saying sometimes, it's most likely a meme. From TikTok. Yeah, from TikTok or from just Twitter or whatever. Correct. Yeah, anyway. The internet. Do you have your good thing? My good thing is that I just tried out a new recipe from the cookbook that you got me. I'm so happy that you've been using that cookbook. It makes me very happy. Listen to this. Lemon pea arugula sheet pan gnocchi. Yeah, it was very good. It was the shit. Had a little white wine, a little gnocchi. It was, yeah, it was good. So yeah. um, I'm enjoying the cookbook. Yes. Okay. Anyway... Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out our Patreon and vote on the upcoming July episode, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.